In keeping with the renewal energy theme, and on the back of my two-part series on the Genpact Envision Racing Partnership, this podcast features Shell Recharge Solutions. We'll hear from you and Moya about how they're expanding their electric vehicle recharge network across the country into homes and offices, but also looking to the future when national electricity grids will be able to receive energy from electric vehicle batteries. Welcome to the Actionable Futurist podcast, a show all about the near-term future with practical and actionable advice from a range of global experts to help you stay ahead of the curve. Every episode answers the question, what's the future of, with voices and opinions that need to be heard. Your host is international keynote speaker and actionable futurist, Andrew Grill. My guest today is Ewan Moyer, Regional Manager UK Nordics for Shell Recharge Solutions. He's responsible for sales and operations of the Shell Recharge Solutions Europe product and services portfolio across five countries. Ewan's experience is in the utility sector and he's a frequent media commentator on electric vehicle industry issues and developments. Welcome, Ewan. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Now, excited about this podcast because it actually was a, a beautiful piece of serendipity. A few months ago, I was walking along the street and I came across this wonderful Shell service station that had been converted to electric vehicle charging in Fulham. And for those who aren't uh, familiar, maybe you could explain what is Shell Recharge Solutions and what do you do? Previously, New Motion, we rebranded uh, to Shell Recharge Solutions. We've been operating kind of in the EV market since 2009. Uh, we currently have around 300,000 charge points across the EU, 10,000 of which in the UK and steadily growing. Our mission, if you like, is to help as many people as possible to drive emission free. And I guess the question is, so how do we do that? So for us, it's really about providing smart charging solutions across home, workplace and on the go. And for us, really, it's about trying to sort of dedicate um, a lot of that focus to what is our experience for the customer across those three different platforms. Uh, so no matter what touch point they have with us, it's kind of recognize and serve them in a consistent way. Removing the friction when you actually want to replenish the energy in the vehicle, I think, is going to be one of the, the, the things to, to look at. Clearly, that's what you're trying to do. So they almost forget that they have to do this. It's just it becomes a common nature and plug it in every night and it's, it's wherever they need to be. I think it's also about accessibility. So where you need to replenish the, the energy, you can actually do that through one of your solutions. Exactly. And for us, you know, we see those three kind of key segments, as I said, home, workplace and on the go. And where we sort of see our advantage a little bit and also where a little bit of a gap in the market is we see the customer obviously exactly the same through each of those touch points. So for us, it's about that experience across all of that in a consistent manner, uh, as you sort of alluded to, whether it's, you know, just charging at a public network site that you've already been to in Fulham uh, or charging at home where we actually see a lot of the uh, charging sessions taking place. And one thing you'll have is a lot of data. We might talk about it a little bit later on about using the data to improve the solution. Energy and sustainability are, of course, high on most consumers' agendas. So how will your organisation help the Shell target to become net zero by 2050? The EV, I guess it's, it's a key part of the overall kind of Shell strategy, if you like, as part of the energy transition. So the business as a whole has obviously a net zero emission target by 2050. And by 2025, we'll be operating around 500,000 charge points, two and a half million by 2030. Quite a big sort of set of numbers there, if you like. We are a global business. So we, we have our counterpart in both Americas and uh, the Far East as well. So um, it plays a key part, as I said, EV in that energy transition for our customers um, and obviously also Shell achieving those goals. Now, those numbers you mentioned, they are mind blowing. 
How's that going to work in practice? Is that sort of split across home, office and public charging? Yeah, exactly. So we'll also have sister companies, if you like. So if you look at Ubertricity in the UK, their focus is very much on on-street sort of lamppost charging. They have a, a sort of target for 50,000 by 2025 too. We play a key part of that, as I said, globally, um, both from home, workplace, and then obviously on the go. So practically, how does that kind of work? Well, for us, it's about sort of giving customer solutions, at all parts of those different segments, um, and sort of supporting them in that kind of uh, sustainable energy choice as to which area do they want to focus on first. And as I said before, I think for us, where we sort of see that gap in the market is being able to support customers in each of those segments and then providing that experience consistently across them all. I think also what we're seeing a lot of is we don't actually provide you know, every individual solution ourselves. For us, it's about sort of building and delivering those products that customers want to use. And then secondly, it's about the gateway to the broader shell business. So for us, you know, it could be a shell fleet customer. It could be uh, a lubricants customer. We really feel sort of play that initial part in some of those customers transitioning and decarbonizing, obviously, their business. I'm noticing a lot more electric vehicles. I'm not sure if I'm correct, but I think on the number plates in the UK, part of it is green if they're electric vehicle. Yes. Which means that now, without having to look at the make or model, is it a Tesla or a Volkswagen, whatever, it's like, oh, that's another electric vehicle. So I'm not sure whether that's widely known, but for me, I'm now seeing more and more and more. The shift has happened. And of course, the the friction is in that charging because once you've got out of the vehicle, you need to to replenish the energy, as I've said. And you conducted some interesting research recently, namely three in four people found the electric vehicle driving experience and technology were the major reason for going electric. But at the same time, there are obstacles preventing that mass adoption. Can you maybe talk through some of the research and what some of the highlights were and how that will direct your thinking to better enhance your solutions? We do a sort of EV driver survey report every year. And for us, as you said, it's really trying to get those insights into the market, both from a sort of customer perspective and some of those challenges. So to maybe touch on some of those of what we're seeing, I think, as I've already sort of touched upon and how we're sort of trying to leverage our business to support this is that need for a more seamless experience. So that kind of integrated solution that touches on all those segments. I think the other one, which is maybe a little bit obvious, but it's still a long way to go. And obviously that's why you're sort of seeing a little bit of transition, certainly from the regulatory landscape to support more of the uh, infrastructure. So availability of charge points actually is still an area of concern for consumers. We got some good research around, the question was about how many sort of roaming cards does a a driver typically have. And I think it was something like four and a half, which is, you know, if you imagine if you had four and a half fuel cards every time you want to go fill up, that, that, that needs to change. So we, you know, for us, it's about trying to grow that roaming partnership network. As I said, in the UK, we're, we're over 10,000 now. We're looking to expand that further. Across Europe, it's over 300,000. So again, it's just trying to sort of reduce that anxiety that drivers naturally feel, which is going to be it is different you know to filling up the car as you do now the normal sort of petrol diesel uh, it, it is different but that's that's definitely something that still comes out loud and clear both from last year and this year in the reports and i think specifically more on maybe those that actually operate in the market uh challenges with the grid so you know installing it so even at your home you know in the uk uh the local kind of grid operators we have to work very closely with them. So it's quite a maybe an older sort of infrastructure in homes across the UK. And 
uh, something called a loop supply, where basically you know, the energy fee coming into that house also loops through to uh, potentially their neighbor's house and back. So as you can imagine, we then have to work with the, with the local network operator to dig up the driveway sometime. You know, so there's a lot of kind of uh, input needed from a, from a consumer to, to make that transition to having an EV. So that's just on the home side. You know, a completely different kettle of fish uh, when you're looking at public charging uh, and the needs there. So that's both a challenge now and then looking into the future once we see that demand really increase, as you sort of alluded to already. We're seeing numbers continue to rise month on month. I think of last month, it was 20% of all sales for cars was plug-in hybrid or a full, full battery vehicle. We only expect that to increase in the coming years. I come from the world of telco and I've seen a lot of similar things. You mentioned the word roaming and everyone, of course, is aware that because of standards that were developed many years ago, you can take the same piece of plastic almost anywhere in the world and you can actually roam onto different networks. So I understand why that's important. And as you were talking about the infrastructure, it harks back to the old days of pay television and when they were digging up pavements. In fact, they're still digging up pavements now to lay fibre cable. I don't own an electric vehicle, but I imagine I can't just use my normal socket in the wall, which has got 13 amps. What you're able to provide is a much higher charging rate, which means you need higher capacity, you need higher amps, essentially. Is that why you have to augment the existing infrastructure so you can do that rapid charging and give a great result so it's charged well before they, they need it in the morning? Exactly, exactly that. So, I mean, you could use a 13 you know, amp plug-in. You can, you can certainly do that. Uh, take you much, much longer to, to charge it. From a safety aspect, it's about balancing the load you already have on the house. So they are slightly more powerful, as you said. I think it could be sort of eight to 10 hours. You plug it in overnight, making sure you get that off-peak uh, charge. So you get a reduced cost, which obviously in the current climate is super important. But then you wake up in the morning and it's, it's good to go. There is a transition. I think the other sort of major difference that we'll come on to probably a little bit later on in the podcast is a plug-in to the socket in the wall not very sort of smart. There's not many features you can really develop on that. Whereas what's coming, the upcoming regulations, where it's going to be in three, four years time, sort of demand response services, actually looking at how do you use that scale of, you know, EV charge points, cars, batteries, et cetera, on someone's home or in the workplace to support that, you know, national grid balancing. We're not concerned, certainly from feedback we hear from National Grid, uh, and the government, uh, they recently did a report, I think it was the Futures Report in for looking at 2050. There will be enough capacity in the grid to support the scale that we're expecting to see, even though I think there are naturally going to be concerns, oh, are we going to be able to counter for it, etc. So having that kind of smart charge point in your home gives both us and grid operators the ability to support that in the future. I read on the website that your solutions are intelligent. So talk to me about how it does that load balancing and make sure that all the lights don't dim when you're charging the car outside. When we install that, we obviously uh, check the, the load on, on the home. The infrastructure in homes might be sort of around 60 amps, et cetera. And there's sort of laws that are regulated around that from uh, the Energy Networks Association. And their role basically is to oversee all of the local grid operators. So depending on where you live, that varies. But in effect, anything that goes above that there's a safety mechanism there that needs to be put in place. So within our actual charge points, we have the ability to basically limit that. And actually, it's called dynamic power management. So in effect, what it's doing is looking at the power that's being used elsewhere in your home. So whether that be your, you know, your fridge or you turn your shower on to heat up your boiler, whatever it would be, it will actually reduce the power going to the charge point. So it doesn't cause the power supply to go above what is actually available and also ultimately trip. And then obviously, as that comes back down and the power becomes more available again, 
it will increase that within the charge point. Now, you don't know that's happening. You've just plugged in your car. As long as you get it charged in the morning, you know, that's, that's the main concern. That's just one thing that uh, sort of supports on the uh, kind of grid balancing aspect. We can touch on some of the other upcoming cool changes that we're expecting that will really take it further forward. Vehicle to grids, that's what's going to be the future. You must collect a lot of data because the, the rate things are charging, the balance on the different network. Essentially, the charging point is an IoT, Internet of Things device, and we probably don't think about that because we've got IoT devices out through our home. I've got IoT lights here. We've got an Alexa, those sort of things. You alluded to it there. You've got a lot of data coming out of the network. How can you process that data to actually give that back to the energy providers? You've got these probes now, these sensors that are detecting loads on the network. So how does that data from those charge points actually help you provide a better service and help the energy providers manage their outputs? At this stage, it's still in maybe early stages of development specifically for us. So we have a dedicated team that's really sort of looking into this for the sort of next three, four, five years. I think from a consumer perspective, the cost to actually have a charge point that can deliver what what we're maybe talking about, so the vehicle to grid, is maybe just a bit too expensive. So we're probably talking three, four thousand pounds more than what a typical charge point would cost in the UK. But it's also a change in behaviour that we're going to need to see with consumers that really needs that education piece uh, that will probably come from these kind of podcasts. That's actually allowing someone like Shell Recharge Solutions, the grid operator, to actually basically have access to your charge point and do all these things in the background. You're sort of giving that control up. So we did actually do a trial a couple of years ago in the Netherlands The whole point of that was to see if it is actually feasible to do that. And we were one of the first kind of charge point operators licensed in the Netherlands to actually be allowed to do grid balancing on a sort of bigger scale. But actually, we didn't take that further forward to that time for the two reasons I've described, both from a cost perspective, but also from a consumer. They're just not ready for it yet. That is all happening. We're sort of testing that and trialing that. We kind of have that capability. But here and now, we don't actually offer that just yet. Uh, But we will be, as I said, in the coming sort of next two, three years, particularly with some of the regulation changes that we're seeing in the UK. It's really fascinating. And it's interesting how you're innovating because while the technology is there, you've got to wait for the consumers and the market to catch up. Some of this is already happening in Australia. So not necessarily with EVs, but for a while now, solar charging, solar power has been available in Australia. Many people sell their energy back to the grid. They've got uh, batteries that store that. And just thinking aloud, you've actually now got a battery in the home. It's called your car. While the battery may not be as dense as a a fully-fledged solar array in in someone's house in Australia, I always learn from my guests on my podcast, I've learned today, you've now got a two-way relationship between the car being charged and the car supplying energy to the grid. The precedent's been set in Australia that you, you actually can do this and sell your energy back to the grid. And that's going to solve part of the sustainability issues because you've then got consumers actually contributing back to net zero. I really hadn't considered that. We look at where we are here today, you know, at home, there's no sort of accurate figure on this, but there's probably around 400,000 home charge points in the UK. As that continues to rise, you know, this year we're probably expecting there to be around 350, 400,000 electric plug-in hybrid vehicles sold. That will increase again next year. It's sort of that around 24, 2024, 2025, where we'll start to see this becoming a lot more mainstream, if you like. And that cost actually entry point for a lot of people, which can be a barrier, becomes more normalized. It reduces where you have that scale. 
And by that point also, then we, we can actually roll out some of those services that we're looking at. Uh, and the technicalities of that, you know, sort of before the meter, after the meter, there's different routes, basically, and things that we can look at, both from a kind of energy trading perspective, but also from working with the local operators to make sure to say, OK, we're going to have a spike at this point in time. We need to make sure that these 25,000 home charge points you know, are reduced or support the grid in that way. I'm simplifying that. <laughs> it's quite a technical piece of work to make that actually become a reality. So uh, nothing we do right now, but it's definitely something that we, we, we expect to be doing in, in the coming years. That's the brilliant thing about companies like yours. You make it seamless, just as you pick up your mobile phone and you make a call. And you don't need to know how it's connecting to different towers. In the background, you just make it happen. And I think you're right. These sort of podcasts are useful to raise the awareness because when we hear about the climate crisis, we hear about the net zero agenda, then you think that, hey, in the future, I can be selling energy back to the grid. Matt will offset the cost of the charging, offset the cost of the equipment, and everything else. It may go beyond carbon net zero. It might be a cost net zero. You've actually got some arbitrage happening there to do that. And maybe you will have people sitting at home trading energy from their car back to the grid. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, the other thing for us is there'll be incentives. You know, we already see that as a, a another way, as you've already sort of touched upon. Uh, if you sell it back, you can make some money or there could be, you know, some loyalty schemes, et cetera. So there's there's lots of different ways that we we can make that even more attractive to customers to ultimately benefit from, as I said, allowing, you know, like the likes of us or, you know, our competitors, whoever else is in the market, plus the grid operators to control that. You know, because it is a change. It'd be, you know, you wouldn't sort of maybe think of it that way, but that, that's how it will work. So um, super exciting, though. Very, very exciting. As I say, it's just very different just plugging it into a wall. Having that kind of smart charging functionality will allow you to do that. So we're all aware that climate change is a huge issue. So I'd be interested to hear what Shell Recharge Solutions is doing to ensure the energy that you use in recharging is sustainable. For every charge point we put in, maybe not at home, obviously that's dependent on the, uh, the, the individual consumer. Certainly from a, from a public perspective, to be 100% renewable energy. So again, it's just making sure we've got that tie-in and sort of the broader shell visions, you know, lots of investment, as you've probably seen in the news in the North Sea around wind farms. Um, I think it's around 6 million homes potentially to be powered there. So for us, again, it's, it's not just about the charge point. It's one element of that kind of energy transition, whether it be for the likes of me and you or for a, you know, a large business. We are also looking at those kind of integrated offers for those at home and also from a business perspective. So EV tariffs, uh, we sort of mentioned just the charge point and then back to the grid, but also actually having your own battery storage, both again from a home and business perspective to again sort of work with the grid balancing and support that energy transition, coming away from that reliance on yeah, you sort of typical uh, energy sources, so obviously coal-fired or even gas. Because obviously whilst we will see that investment continue to rise in your sort of renewable energy sources, whether that be solar or whether that be wind farms, you know, it's obviously not a consistent power source that comes through. So having those battery facilities on site is a great way of obviously storing that. So when it is at a peak demand time and you do need to charge, you can obviously just rely on that and not then drawing from the grid. But also then when you're accessing that in off-peak times during the day, overnight, uh, renewable source uh, and also at a cheaper rate. So I'm sure for many new EV owners, they're now having to look at, well, where do I put the charging point? If I'm going to have batteries, where do I do that? So they're having to reconfigure their home environment. But talk to me about new builds. So new build homes, new build offices. I'm sure you're being approached by developers to say, okay, 
we need to, either through legislation or because we want to offer a really good solution and we know that everything's going electric, how is the design of new properties, both commercial and, and home properties, changing to support the potential for electric charging, both the point, but also, as you mentioned, the batteries? There's been some regulations that have come out uh, very recently. So all new homes built must have a charger installed. And also any kind of residential dwellings with car parks, a certain percentage basically have to have the cabling fitted at least uh, as a minimum for those that then do move in, they can have a charge point installed. So some great initiatives that have sort of been in the pipeline I think, since 2019. From a business perspective, it's probably slightly different. So I think maybe some advice here if anyone's looking to do this, it's really understanding what your power requirements are at each individual site. So we've seen in some instances where it can be a little bit more of a drawn out process, but kind of understanding your maximum demand and your available supply capacity are kind of two key elements there. And why we need that is that we get a lot of people saying, you know, I, I want to have 20 charge points installed. Okay, great. Uh, but actually, can you even have 20 charge points installed? Do you even have the available capacity within the grid to do that? And some others have just gone off and done that and then come back sort of two, three years later saying 10 of them aren't working uh, because, yeah, I don't have the available power. Grid upgrades can be quite expensive, um, sort of ranging anywhere from a couple thousand to several hundred thousand, depending on your requirements. So again, our kind of role in this is really that kind of education consultancy piece that the teams, both from a sales and operations perspective, work on with our our larger customers to make sure that we're giving the right solution for now, but also trying to future-proof that. So this is a futurist podcast. So the $64 million question, what's the future for electric vehicle charging? So from a home perspective, it's a smart charging. So uh, at the end of this month, there's regulations coming into effect that basically mean that all charge points, whether it be home or business, have to have a couple of default kind of settings. The main two to sort of touch upon is uh, a sort of randomized delay function. So it'd be up to 10 minutes, but when you basically plug it in to sort of support the future of the, the grid, if you like, where we're not having everyone just plug in at six o'clock in the evening all at the same time. There's a kind of 10-minute delay to sort of allow the grid to sort of operate within that 10 minutes. Some education to be done there, because I think a few people will plug it in. We're sort of expecting this. Why isn't it charging? But it's just natural for that to happen. The other one is sort of setting it to off-peak times. So whether that be during the day or overnight. And again, the whole purpose of that is to, where it's at peak times, we're not overloading the grid. Uh, and giving us and also the grid operators the ability to sort of work on that in the future when we're talking about millions of charge points in the ground. So that's probably one element there, you kind of smart charging bits are coming around. I think the other sort of main sort of development we're going to see, not maybe even within the EV space that, that we operate in from a charging perspective, but certainly improvement in battery ranges and charging speeds. So again, when we look at kind of the EV driver server report we do each year, range anxiety is still one. It's not uncommon now for 250, 300 miles for this kind of newer models that we're seeing as battery technology improves. That can only be a positive um, for consumers, obviously, to reduce that anxiety. On the flip side, obviously, what we're trying to do is some of the targets we spoke about earlier in the podcast, getting more charges into the ground. And that's not just us. That's uh, an industry-wide challenge that we're going to come across. So I'm always interested in how companies innovate. You've touched on the work you've been doing in the Netherlands. But how do you more broadly innovate at Shell Recharge Solutions? There's two kind of key elements. So I guess if we look at Shell in its journey, if you like, to where it is now, there's a lot of very talented people who've been through that journey already. 
problem solvers, you know, they're, they're innovators themselves and maybe experts in technology. So for us, it's really finding the right talents to also then make those changes happen. And the changes we want to see happen is basically that feedback from our customers. So we're very in tune with both from the different segments we talked about, home, kind of workplace, uh, and then on the go, and making sure we have that feedback loop to make sure that we can deliver that. So for us, we see that as our kind of competitive advantage as well is the people that we currently have within the team, within our experience center in, in, in Amsterdam. You know, we're regularly sort of testing new kind of products, innovations, some of the things we've spoken about, you know, the grid balancing, uh, smart charging services that we need to provide. And that's obviously just within the charge point perspective, but obviously from a consumer perspective through the app and the software side, again, there's a lot of development going on in that space at the moment to make it seamless for the customer. So it's easy. So you don't have to think about it. You plug it in and that's all kind of done and you get incentivized for that. So I think for us, it's 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 the people that I come back to, I think, that we see as our kind of differentiator in the market. So you're the pointy end of all things EV for the broader shell organization. You see what's happening right down at that charge point. So how is the parent company using the data that you've got to actually look at how they provide more sustainable solutions? We work very closely with Shell Fleet Solutions where, yeah, we're talking millions of customers globally who are going to be transitioning from sort of traditional fuels onto more sort of renewable mobility uh, sources, if you like. We're sort of currently looking at from both uh, the Americas perspective in the U- uh, UK and Europe to sort of take that insight that we get. So it's maybe charging habits, uh, the EV driver survey report we obviously do. And feeding that into other areas of Shell within obviously the right parameters to innovate the offerings that they provide, whether that could be more sustainable fuels, et cetera, to ease customers through that journey. Because it is a big change. Naturally, people are inquisitive about what actually involves. And I've been in the industry now just over a year. And even in that year, there's been a tremendous amount of change, both from a regulatory perspective and obviously from our own perspective in terms of having to innovate to keep up with the market, it's highly competitive. There's a lot of innovation taking place. So for us, having not just our own data sources that we use to engage with customers, but actually more broadly into Shell, they also provide insights to us, right? So that does, again, give us a bit of an advantage in that scale to actually help customers, not just in the UK, but globally as part of that transition. I think that healthy competition and your focus on innovation will help us meet those targets because everyone's racing to find more efficient charging solutions, more efficient batteries, all those sort of things, remove all the friction points. So I think that can only be a really good thing that it's a very dynamic industry. We really see the transition accelerating now. So we're we're no longer in this kind of early adopter phase, you know, people sort of within the Nissan Leafs or the early Teslas sort of five, six years ago to really moving into that mass adoption phase. And for us, it's about how do we sort of go on that journey to scale and be able to provide that on on a global level. So being under that kind of shell umbrella, if you like, shell recharge solutions, we feel very well placed to be able to do that. Uh, We're going to need to be able to do that. I mean, some of the numbers, as we've talked about, are very large, but definitely achievable with with what we have uh, within shell recharge solutions. I encourage my listeners to play spot the green number plate. And uh, now that I've said that the number plate green means electric, may encourage other people to say, well, maybe I'd like a green number plate as well. We see a lot of feedback actually about that from customers that um, it's just much easier to spot. So I like it. It's good. I don't know if any other region or country does it, but uh, yeah, it's a good idea. 
So almost out of time, but I want to run you through a quick fire round, my favorite part of the podcast. iPhone or Android? Android. Window or aisle? Window. Online or in the room? In the room. Your biggest hope for 2022 and beyond? A bit deep on this one, but I hope the Ukraine war ends this year. That would be a good one. What's the app you use most on your phone? Spotify. All the time. Podcasts, music. Yeah, that's my my go-to. Sounds like you're a data guy. I've hooked up my Spotify to my last FM account, basically scrubs every single song I look at. And I look back and I go, my goodness, I listen to a lot of music on Spotify. I'll have to check that out. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Travel often. What's the one thing you won't be doing again post-pandemic? Growing a beard. What are you reading at the moment? Emotion by Design. So uh, I think it was on the Stephen Bartlett podcast, uh, the previous, I think it was Nike Chief Marketing Officer. I got some good reviews. So I'll be starting that uh, this week. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Who should I invite next onto the podcast? For me, I would like to learn a little bit more, and it's quite broad, but maybe um, something from the AI sort of industry would be quite good. There's a bunch of great AI guests already on the show, and I've got about five in production where I've interviewed some amazing guests, and they'll be dripped out over the next few months. Final question on the quickfire round, how do you want to be remembered? Ambitious, fun, and also generous. So as this is the Actionable Futures podcast, What three actionable things should our audience do today when it comes to better understanding the benefits of sustainable mobility solutions? First one, obviously listen to this podcast and your podcast. I think that's a great way to get some insights into what's going on in the industry. The second one for me is uh, maybe from a practical perspective is if you're unsure, you're not sure about the industry, go test drive an EV. It's the best way to learn, actually experience it. You can hear about it all the time, but uh, uh, sort of a personal sort of story for me is my parents are currently looking at getting an EV and, you know, they're just saying, oh, I'm just going to buy this car. I'm like, yeah, you've got to think about this. You've got to think about that. You know, what are you going to do with your charging? And, like, and it's, it, you know, it's, the practicalities of actually owning it is, is different, but going through that experience yourself is a great way to do it. I think also, if you look at the events seminar calendar, you know, post-COVID, it's just blown up, particularly in the kind of e-mobility EV sector. Every single week, there's a, a large event ongoing. So I would just have a look into an events calendar, see, see what's near to you, pop down. Again, you can really sort of experience what's available in the market. You know, we're attending some of the shows later on this year. So I think just immerse yourself in it. But yeah, as I said, sign off. Definitely listen to this podcast. How can people find out more about you and your work? I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So uh, I can send you my link. I uh, usually sort of make some posts on that. So I would check that out. For, for, for us more broadly in shower retard solutions, again, the latest updates that we put on, I spoke about the regulation changes that are coming up at the end of June. We're quite active again on our kind of website. So any questions on that, yeah, the latest articles, etc., put on there. It's a great website. And, and for someone who's not aware of what the opportunities are, I think it's a great place to start. You in a great discussion today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Actionable Futurist podcast. You can find all of our previous shows at actionablefuturist.com. And if you like what you've heard on the show, please consider subscribing via your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find out more about Andrew and how he helps corporates navigate a disruptive digital world with keynote speeches and C-suite workshops delivered in person or virtually at actionablefuturist.com. Until next time, this has been the Actionable Futurist Podcast.